to me, there is a major difference between a skill sport and a team sport. So I played a team sport and played volleyball, and I remember we would come up against a team, and our coach would tell us they have this lights-out player. I mean, she's so good. She's, gonna, she's one of the best in the country. She's better than any of us individually, but we are a better team. And almost every time, we would beat those teams that had just one standout player. And then there's golf, which is just a skill sport. And this past weekend, if you didn't watch it, history was made by Phil Mickelson. It's not because he won the PGA Tour Championship. It's not because he had like the lowest score in the history. It's because he won it at the ripe old age of 50. And apparently that's the oldest anybody has ever been and won a championship. As Charlie and I watched him approach the final hole on the 18th, look at this picture of what was happening. I mean, he was getting swarmed. And he steps up on the tee box and everybody's going lefty, lefty. And you could feel it. Everybody wanted him to win. Like nobody wanted the other guy. I don't even remember who the other guy was at that time. But y'all, the announcers, if you were watching it, the announcers wanted him to win. History's being made. History's going to be, everyone's just so excited. And then he wins and he does this. Just so Philly just puts up his hands just casually as high as a 50-year-old can. <laughs> and, and then he just goes over to his caddy, who's his brother, and gives him this huge bear hug. And then he begins to walk to where he has to go turn in his card. And everybody that, that he knew would be like, congratulations. And he would notice the voice, and he would stop. And he would give these big bear hugs to these trainers and these professional people and other athletes. And as he walked, Charlie and I were like, oh, isn't it so good when one of the good guys wins? I was so happy because, you know, Phil is like one of the good guys. It was remarkable to watch. It got me thinking about how we focused on living hope over these past eight or nine weeks and all the things that we have done to think about hope outside of our normal definition. And we've learned that hope is not something that you just conjure up, you just kind of will it into being, but hope is birthed in Christ. We've learned that while hope often means to wait, and actually in the Hebrew Bible, those words are used interchangeably, to wait is to hope, to wait does not mean to just sit there with your hands underneath you. Living hope is active. That when hope seems lost, because we are in this community of faith, sometimes other people need to hope for us. And that as people of hope, it means we sign up for a long game. As we close out this series, though, I began to wonder, does it matter how we wait? Does it matter how we play the long game? Does our character matter? How we hold ourselves to help us with that. We're going to look at Paul's letter to the church in Rome again. Before we do so, will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable to you. For you are our rock, our hope, our redeemer. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is from the eighth chapter of Romans. 
I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is this tension that runs throughout the entire New Testament. We've got the kingdom of God now and the kingdom of God not yet. We have to deal with how we're living now, but knowing that there is something better in the future. As people who believe in hope, it means that we believe that God is at work doing something now, but also that God is working towards something better in the not yet. So on our podcast this week, our intern Kevin Ireland remind me, reminded me of the seminary term for that. It's called prolepsis. I hadn't heard that in 20 plus years, prolepsis. This is the idea that since that very first resurrection day, we were given this glimpse into what it's going to be like. But yet, we also get to experience that what it's going to be like now. It's the now and the not yet. And the passage that I just read, it, it shows this tension that Paul is experiencing between how do we wrestle with this. He talks of the now. He says the sufferings of the present time and then the not yet. They are not in comparison to the glories that are about to be revealed. He talks about the now. He said creation waits with eager longing, groaning and labor pains. That's what's going on now. But in the not yet, that creation will be set free as we wait for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In the now, he says, in hope, we were saved. We can, we can claim that. We have that now. But now hope that is seen is not hope. We wait for it with patience. To hope is to trust God in that tension, knowing that you will not be content with just one or the other, but it has to be the both. And it made me wonder, how do we wait? How do we live within that tension? Does it matter how we behave when we are in this in-between? Does it matter how we wait and hope? Does it matter how we play the long game? Or is it enough just to say, I believe in it? I believe in hope, but it doesn't really matter how I act. Because, you know, I can wait, but I can also wait in very impatient ways, in ways that cause stress to the people around me, I can wait in ways that are very self-seeking. How do we wait in hope? Look back at our passage. Paul is talking about this tension in the now while also waiting. And this is what he says. He says the creation, that's us, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. And that phrase, eager longing, it, it, it interested me. It's only used two times in the whole Bible, one here and one other time in Corinthians by Paul. And the word literally translates to stretch one's head out, 
to watch with your head outstretched. The King James translates it as earnest expectation. And this is the image that it made me think of, sitting on that mat in pre-K. The teacher hasn't even asked the question yet. And everybody puts their hands up, stretching their necks out, calling, I want, it, I want to be involved. I want it to be me. I'm ready. Call on me. That's how we're supposed to be waiting in hope. To live into hope, we view that life is in God's hands. We believe it. And so we trust that there is something that God is doing within the heavenly realms. And we might need to join God in that. To live with eager excitement. It means we trust that God is always up to something. Always up to something that seeks justice that esteems humility, that shares love. To live with that eager excitement, it means that despite the travails and the, the trials that are going on in our world, which there always will be, that there is this heavenly realm being built by God, and God needs us to join God in that work. God needs us to put our hands up, put our necks out to get involved. The first time I met my Uncle Cliff, I thought he was a famous person. I knew we were going to go to his restaurant. He was an executive chef at this restaurant in South Tampa. had a fancy name. It was called Bella Trattoria. And up to this point, my family didn't eat out a lot. Yes, this is true to my children who want to eat out all the time. We ate out like after baseball, softball games. We went to the local pizza joint. But this time, we went to Cliff's restaurant. And like we approached the restaurant and they opened the door for us. They knew our names. They showed us to a table. It had candles on it, tablecloths. We had to put napkins in our laps. And then they started bringing things, tasty things, to the table that I don't remember anyone ordering. And then out comes my Uncle Cliff. And he's in the black and white checked pants and, and the white top and the hat. And everybody in the restaurant's looking like, who are they? And I was like, yeah. That's my uncle. I had no idea. So Petey and Cliff, Petey is my dad's sister. They were the super fun aunt and uncle for us nieces. And so we wanted to hang out with them because they didn't have children. They didn't have anything that tied them down. And they liked to have a really good time. After eight years of working as this executive chef and being very, very successful, Cliff realized that he could not be the father that he wanted to be in that setting. And so he took up a sales job. And in this sales job, he got paired with this man named Tony. And they would drive all over the state of Florida trying to sell this product. And Tony liked to listen to tapes. Do you all know what tapes are? They're like these things you stick in, press play. And he liked to listen to Christian preachers on tape. And you know, you're stuck with somebody traveling, driving. You're listening to preacher after preacher. And, and Cliff said it dawned on him. He was raised in a Christian home. But he, as he listened to these Christian preachers, he was like, and I quote, this is his words, not mine. It was eye-opening to understand that the dead guy on the cross wanted to have a relationship with me. The dead guy on the cross wanted to have a relationship with me. And so Cliff began this daily walk with Christ. 
And, and for those of us that knew him before and after, it was like this radical transformation. And one of the things that changed in him is he knew that what his career was going to be, it needed to be something that mattered. It needed to be something that based on his experience, he was able to pour into other people. And I, I called him last week because I wanted to interview him about this. I'm like, what led to the change? He's like, well, when I was 17, everybody around me is, is applying for college, wanting to go off and do that. And I just didn't like school. I didn't like to, but I loved to cook. And when I was in the kitchen, that's when I came alive. And, and it dawned on me, there has to be a lot of other people who are like that who maybe going to college wasn't going to be the route that they needed to do, but they had this gift of being able to cook. And he wanted, he'd always had this dream of opening up this Christian culinary school. And so he came up with this vision. It was called SPICE, Spiritual Program Infusing Culinary Education. It was brilliant. One of his good friends was on a board of a major nonprofit in Tampa. It's called Metropolitan Ministries. It's a homeless community for families. And he says to Cliff, I think you should bring that to Metropolitan Ministries because one of the things they are really eager to do is partner. And he thinks, okay, this is, this is an opportunity. And so he brings, he pitches it to the CEO, pitches the idea. And the CEO says to him, well, I think that's a really good vision maybe we could eventually get to, but what we really need is volunteers in the kitchen. Cliff leaves, goes home and tells his wife, and he's like, what? I am an executive chef. They want me just to volunteer in the kitchen, and they actually think my idea is good, so they're going to steal it, but maybe down the road. He went home and told his wife, my very wise Aunt Petey, and she said, oh, honey, I know you're so upset and hurt by that. She let a couple days pass by, and then and she says, why don't, you just, why don't you just volunteer in the kitchen? See what happens. So he shows up. He volunteers three, three days in a row, and the CEO comes up to him and says, we're looking to hire an executive chef. You know, in that moment, Cliff said he knew it was a financial risk to be a an executive chef for a nonprofit. It's like saying you're going to be a minister in a Protestant church. <laughs> but he felt that this was being obedient to Christ. So he's been there 11 years. He directs their social enterprise ventures and food services. And this is a picture of him with three of his students at his culinary academy. They have graduated hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students who have come through that homeless community and been given a new opportunity to get a stable job as cooks and chefs. I asked Cliff, how does he remain hopeful? Because you know the homeless population, we know it just continues to rise. He said, we see change. We see men and women learn a trade that can then support their family and then he said this, he said, the end game for us is serving those who are going through it. The end game is serving those who are going through it, helping people one at a time to improve their lives and become self-sufficient. My Uncle Cliff embodies waiting with eager expectation. He put his hand up. 
he stretched his neck out and was eager to get involved in God's work of love, mercy, and compassion. I wonder, friends, what work is God doing right here in Austin that God's just waiting on one of us to put our hands up for, to stretch our necks out for, to get involved with? How can we live into this hope in the now and the not yet? I think it's how we do it. I think it's in this waiting with patience and eager expectation. Stacy said this the very first week of this sermon series. Living hope is hands-on hope. It has feet. It has hands. It walks. It moves. Oh, that each of us might have the courage to be obedient to Christ's call as we live into this hope. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.